Welcome to the Sunday Morning Message with Pastor Nick Stringer, brought to you from Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. Creekside Church, where the Spirit flows. Today's message is titled, Has Jesus Lost His Mind? Has Jesus lost his mind? You know, that was one of the criticisms that was leveled at Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And of course, there were much more serious accusations thrown at him as well, such as what Ellie read there, that he was possessed by Satan himself and that he was casting out demons in the power of Satan. And Jesus said, now this is foolishness because how can Satan cast out Satan? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And so what we're going to learn today is this. Christians will be criticized because Jesus was criticized. We can expect the same level of treatment that Jesus received if we are faithful. Jesus teaches us to expect criticism for our faith and how to embrace it and how to conduct ourselves. So is Jesus out of his mind? You know, perhaps if you're a faithful Christian, and in times of adversity you've applied your faith, perhaps you have been criticized for the way that you have handled certain moments in your lives. Maybe you've heard things such as this. You're not being real about this. Maybe you've heard this. You're not doing enough. Or maybe you've heard this, why are you not more sad? You see, as Christians, we live with a hope. And things that come into our lives, if we rely on our faith, then we're able to process them a little bit differently than those who do not have a hope. And that's what gets us through hard times. That's what allows us to not simply get through hard times, but to thrive through hard times and to come out of those difficulties with a strengthened faith and more trust in the Lord. Now, that is a very important perspective because you'll see that the people who are levying these attacks upon Jesus, they're not living with this hope. Because of what Jesus represents is something far greater than they could ever imagine. You know, Abraham Lincoln, before he was president, he gave a speech back in 1858. He was running for Senate, and he did not win that campaign. He actually lost as a senator. But he gave a speech. It was called a house-divided speech. And he was talking about the state of our union and how our country was divided by the issue of slavery, how you had the North who were opposed to it and the South was for it. And he said, this house is divided against itself and it simply will not be able to stand. It will either go all in one way or it will go all the other way. And Jesus, he was saying 2,000 years ago that our house divided against itself cannot stand. How can Satan cast out satan so this story takes place this episode takes place over here in capernaum 
and Capernaum is located. I just wanted to give you a little map here to show you where Jesus was living. After he left Nazareth, Capernaum pretty much became his home during his earthly ministry in a time he was walking the earth and teaching. That is located up here in, in Galilee, and it's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So this is where this is taking place. Jesus is in Capernaum, and the scribes, who were educated men at the time, and their task was to preserve the scriptures and to teach from the scriptures. And they are the ones who are attacking Jesus, saying he has a spirit, an unclean spirit. He has a demon, and he heals people by the power of Satan. And Jesus' response was kind of one that suggested you folks are lunatics, okay? How can Satan cast out Satan? A house divided against itself simply cannot stand. It will fall and it will meet its end. So what Jesus was saying there is the things that I do, I do in the name of God. I bring glory to God and these are good things. Now what was Jesus doing up to this point? He was healing. He healed a paralytic. He had healed a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus was teaching. Jesus was doing all of these good things, and yet he was being criticized for it. So what we see from Jesus are some tools that he gives us today and how we can act towards those who criticize us and how we can accept those criticisms knowing that they are not personal attacks, but they are actually attacks on Jesus himself. So let's take a look at some of these things that Jesus teaches us today. Number one, Jesus teaches us to embrace criticisms for our faith. You know, one I think one of the most difficult things to do in sports is to be at the free throw line in a very close basketball game and it comes down to free throws. And you're on the opposing team's court. And there you are, all by yourself. And you're dribbling that ball, and you're eyeing up the net. And the crowd all around you is in a frenzy. Some of them may be hurling insults and hurling obscenities at you. You suck. Who knows what they're going to be saying, right? And you're dribbling that ball. And you look in the background behind the basket and there's people with those signs and fingers and they're going bonkers and crazy and they want so badly for you to miss that shot. And there you are. And you dribble and you dribble. And your task is to block all of that out around you and to make that shot. What you are actually tasked with is embracing that criticism. Taking what is being thrown at you and using it as fuel. Using it as fire. Using it as food. To be successful in that moment, you have to actually learn to love the criticism. I want the criticism. And the reason you're getting the criticism is because you're about to do something that's going to be to their detriment. And you take that deep breath 
You keep your mind focused. You release the ball. Whoosh. Swoosh. Nothing but net. You have fulfilled your task. But getting to a point to where you can take that criticism all around you and focus on what you're doing requires discipline. Jesus Christ had discipline. And he told us very clearly, the servant is not greater than the master, is he? Meaning this, if they criticized me, they're darn sure going to criticize you if you're being faithful. Now, if we're being faithful, you can wear those criticisms as a badge of honor because that means you are a faithful and devout Christian and people can see that about you and they know that about you and you're being criticized for your faith. Now, I'm not talking about being criticized, just being a Christian and being criticized. I'm talking about being criticized for your faith for standing firm in your convictions and your principles, for applying God's word into your everyday life and being criticized for that. That is a badge of honor. 1 John 3.13 says this, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. It is a badge of honor. And Jesus said, If you are criticized, you are blessed. If you are persecuted for my name's sake, then you are are blessed if you're faithful you see we have a a problem in our culture with christians today you see many christians and it's sad for me to say this but it's much easier to just go along with the culture you see it's hard work to stand out in the culture to live a life according to the biblical principles, according to the type of life that Jesus Christ would have you to live, that would bring honor and glory to him. You see, it's easy to go to your nine to five, to your daily job, and to just blend in, right? It's easy to go out and to meddle in debauchery on the weekends. It's easy to smoke that joint. It's easy to get drunk in liquor. Right? It's easy to do that. It's easy to use filthy and vulgar language. It's easy to do that. It's easy to blend in. It's easy to be the type of Christian that stands back on the sidelines and proclaims Jesus internally, but outwardly, no one would ever really know the difference. You're just average Joe, average Jane. But you have these beliefs inside, but no one can really tell. And it's safe there. There's no confrontation. There's no chance of getting into a, an argument. No chance of anyone asking you about your faith, which can be a very scary thing, which is why a lot of people shy away from it because they get defensive about it when people ask them about their faith because they don't know how to explain their faith, right? And we don't want to be that way. We want to give a gentle answer. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it's hated you. In other words, the uh, servant is not greater than the master, right? And so what Jesus is saying, he wants us to act like Christians. Now, back in 2014, there was a fire chief in Atlanta. 
that was fired for some things that he had written in a book, his viewpoints on sexuality. He simply stated, I agree with the Bible on what it has to say about sexuality. This sex is for a man and a woman in the confines of marriage to build that marriage and to keep that marriage strong. Those were his convictions and his beliefs. So the city of Atlanta said, well, congratulations on your beliefs. We dismiss you from your job as Atlanta fire chief. He was fired for his beliefs because someone had gotten a hold of that book and presented it to the governing authorities, and they dismissed him for it. But the story does end well for him. He settled a lawsuit, and he won $1.2 million in a lawsuit against the city of Atlanta for that. But the culture is ramping up its attacks on Christianity, and they're doing this through social policy. We see it. Sexuality is a big one. Other social areas of our life are being under attack and going against what Jesus Christ would teach in the Bible. Now, God says this. I want you to embrace those criticisms. I want you to expect them, and that's one way we can embrace them is to expect them. He says, when they're attacking you, they're not really attacking you. They're attacking me. Jesus wants us to have the mindset where we use those criticisms as fuel, as a badge of honor, as a representation of saying, you know what? You are a faithful servant of mine, and these attacks on you prove it. These criticisms of you prove your faith. So my friends, you don't have to shy away from them, but you can embrace them. This is how the apostles did it. How do you think these men remained so faithful under the persecution that they faced, under the attacks that they faced, and yet they could be thrown into prison, they could be beaten, and they could still be singing hymns? How do you explain when Jesus was on the cross having nails driven through his hands and his feet that he could be up on the cross and say, Father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the type of attitude that Jesus wants us to have. Not one that's cynical and resentful towards people who may attack us for our faith, but one that is still forgiving Remember, we are a people who forgive. We look past those criticisms because we understand, number one, these are human beings made in the image of God. They might not be children of God because they have not embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but he loves them and he wants them to be his children. He wants them to come to Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure we behave in a manner that influences that, that hastens that, and not turns them away, but is attractive to Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to know that you are blessed when you are criticized for your faith. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets, 
who were before you. Each new criticism is a new blessing. Each new criticism is a new blessing. When we agree with the Bible, we should expect to be criticized. I don't need to tell you to take a look at the culture and see what's happening around us. A lot of it doesn't agree with the scriptures. Would you agree with that? So these attacks, they will ramp up and they will become more frequent and more intense. But Jesus says, expect it, embrace it, and know that you are blessed for your redemption draws near. I want you to trust and I want you to know that I have your best interest in mind and be a people of forgiveness. You know, there was a parable Jesus taught. It was a parable of the wicked servant. This servant, um, he owed money to his master and his master called him in and he said, where is all the money that you owe me? It's time for you to pay up. And he got down on his knees and he pleaded and said, please have mercy on me. I will pay you when I can. And you know what that master did? He said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of all of your debt. So that servant left that meeting and he went out and because he was desperate for money, he went to, the, to people that owed him money and he began to ridicule them. The scripture says that he began to choke them and he demanded that they pay him right now the money that they owed him. And when the master heard of this, he called that servant back in and he said, now you listen right here. I forgave you of all the debt that you owed and then you leave here and you go out and you start asking them and being violent towards them about the debts they owe you? He said, no. Because you've behaved that way, off you go. And he was tortured and made to pay every cent that he owed. We are to be forgiving people. Jesus Christ has forgiven us of every sin that we have ever committed. He has washed our slate clean. You and I need to be that way with other people. We need to look past their sins. We need to look past their criticisms of us. We need to look past personality traits that so get on your nerves. We need to look past that. And we need to see them for what they are. People made in God's image and give them the grace and the mercy that is required for us to be children of God. So embrace criticism. Use it. Wear it as a badge of honor. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus also gave us another thing. He said this, or he taught us this. He was prepared to give an answer. Now, in this episode here in Mark chapter 3, they're criticizing him of having an unclean spirit. They're saying, you're possessed with a demon, man. You are possessed by Satan, and everything you do is under the power of Satan. And Jesus came back with a response. Hey, 
A house divided against itself cannot. Don't you wish you could think of stuff like that to say, just snappy like that? Hey, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If I were healing in the power of Satan, that wouldn't make any sense now, would it? Because Satan's job is to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to destroy. It's God who wants to restore. It's God who wants to make new again. It's God who wants to bring you to a place of endless love. Not Satan. That's what Jesus was saying. What I do, I do in the name of God. And what I do brings good to people. Not Satan. I do the opposite of Satan. Jesus wants us to be ready to explain the hope we have. Listen to what it says here in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as your Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you and to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. He says make a defense, but don't be defensive and i think as christians we can have a tendency to do that because when we're challenged on the things that we believe it makes us defensive because we're afraid that we may not be able to explain the things that we believe and we're afraid of looking foolish in front of others did i is that kind of true and i can relate to that I'm not saying that it's wrong to feel that way. I'm just saying I can relate to that. And it is. That's why we do Bible studies. That's why we go over these things over and over. Because Jesus wants us to be equipped with an answer. Ready to give an explanation for the hope that we have. Not to stand there like a deer in the headlights. And certainly not to back away and walk away and stand and to shy away from an opportunity to explain our faith and the hope that we have. What the Bible has to say and what God has to say about particular issues. And it's going to become more and more relevant for us to know what the scriptures have to say. But with gentleness and reverence, you know, when you're challenged on your faith, it's easy to get heated and things can get heated very rapidly. But we need to embrace that criticism and we need to prepare ourselves to give a response. And Jesus says, give it a response for the hope that you have. What is the hope that you have? What is our hope? Now, we have been talking the last three weeks about our blessed hope. So this is fresh in your minds. The hope we have is that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us now. And at any moment, whether it be rapture or through physical death, we will be with the Lord forever to be with him. We will meet him in the air. We will forever be with the Lord. And we will be enjoying the blessed union of us and the Lord in a place designed for us with no sin, with no death, with no disease, with no sickness. That is our blessed hope. That we will one day leave this world, leave the temporary realm, and we will enter the eternal realm in a state of eternal joy, eternal happiness, and eternal love. That is the blessed hope that we have. Hebrews 6.19 says this, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, 
and one which enters within the veil. What Paul is saying there is that the hope that we have in Christ is one that is like an anchor. You ever seen those pictures of an anchor? Or maybe you have a boat and you have an anchor in your boat. And you throw the anchor over the side and it keeps you in place so that you can catch all those fish, right? This is exactly what our hope and our faith does. It's an anchor for our soul. It keeps us in place and it keeps us grounded. And we don't get carried away by our emotions. And we don't let the ways of the world dictate which direction we're going to go. We don't get tossed to and fro like a boat out in the waves in the midst of a storm. But we are grounded. We are anchored because time and time again, we always go back to the beginning and we always go back to our foundation and that is our hope in Jesus Christ. No matter what comes our way, so many things are going to come into our lives. Broken relationships, the loss of a spouse, the loss of loved ones. Hopes and dreams of those we love dashed. Everything that we expected, everything that we planned. Hey, the economy could collapse tomorrow. And we'll all be at zero. All those life savings gone. That could happen. And it probably will one day. Right? What do we have to anchor us? What do we have to live for? What is our purpose on this earth? What is anchoring our soul? Jesus said, it is your faith that you have in me. And so, you know, the other thing that I see in this passage in Mark is Jesus knew his subject matter. We need to learn and know our subject matter. He knew Satan. He knows people. Nobody knows people better than Jesus Christ, right? He was there from the foundations of the world. He was there in creation. He saw your unformed substance, and he saw you knit together in your mother's womb. Jesus knows everything about us, and he knows everything about Satan. And he knows his subject matter here. He knows the people that are asking these questions. He knows about the people who are throwing these criticisms at him, and he knows about Satan. And you and I, we need to know our subject matter. We, first of all, we need to know about us. We were talking in a Bible study last Wednesday night about if we were teaching people um, what it means to be humble, what would we say? What would we tell people there are things that need to be done in order to live a humble life? And one of those things that we came up with was vulnerability. Being honest about your vulnerability. Being honest about what we are as human beings and how at any moment and any time we are all subject to great adversity. And it doesn't matter what we've accomplished up to this point or what kind of reputation we think we've built for ourselves. We can take the fall at any moment and we are vulnerable. 
not only vulnerable as human beings, but vulnerable in a spiritual sense, vulnerable in spiritual warfare. Satan is alive and he is real. This is a reality. And Jesus attested to this. Satan is a reality. And it does not do us any good to joke about Satan as if he is some little guy in a red cape with a tail, with a little pitchfork. He is a dragon. Not literally, but figuratively. He is seeking to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is the reality of spiritual warfare. And we need to realize that about us. We need to realize our vulnerability and the realities of evil forces on the world at the possession of Satan. And we also need to realize the subject matter of the natural man. Those who are not conformed to the image of Christ, those who have not sought the forgiveness of Jesus, those who have not embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, think in a natural sort of way. Their thoughts, their opinions, their views are all skewed because they see things the way that the world sees them. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are spiritually appraised, and they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. We need to understand mankind. And then finally, we need to understand Satan. We need to understand his past. We need to go back into the scriptures, and you can write these down. Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. Those explain Satan's past. They explain his fall from heaven, how he was created as a perfect, beautiful angel, but he rebelled against God. He became prideful, and he said, I want to be like God, and he was thrown out of, ha out of heaven, and now he is on this earth doing his wickedness. He schemes. He prowls like a lion, seeking to devour, and he seeks opportunity now jesus did teach us how to thwart the attacks of satan he gave us a very good demonstration of that in james 4 7 we have this submit therefore to god and resist the devil and he will flee from you you say well how do i resist the devil a lot of you have allergies in here right you take what's known as an antihistamine maybe a pill or a drink it's antihistamine, and you do that to oppose and to fight your allergic reactions. That word resist in James 4, 7, submit to God and resist the devil. Resist, that word, in the Greek, that's where we get our English word antihistamine. Okay? Antihistamine. So when we're told to resist the devil, we're told to oppose him. How do we oppose him? Jesus gave us the example. When Jesus was in the wilderness and he was vulnerable and the devil was tempting him, what did Jesus do? He said, go from me, Satan. That's how you resist the devil. You tell Satan to go from me. You know when you're in that good place and then all of a sudden your mind begins to drift into wonder and to get on things that it shouldn't be? Go from me, Satan. 
Satan's trying to sneakily and slyly pull you in. Remember, he is looking for someone to devour. Don't give him an opportunity. Put on the full armor of God. Be of sober spirit and do what Jesus did and say, go from me, Satan. Jesus said, be prepared. Be prepared to give an answer and know your subject matter. The final point I want to make here today with this passage is that when it comes to criticism, we need to stop fighting it. Being criticized for your faith is something we don't need to fight. We are to rest and to trust in the Lord and to let him fight our battles for us. I know in our culture, we're told to stand up and fight. Stand up, be strong, go against the grain, right? right? We don't have to do that. We have already won the fight. The fight is over. In fact, there's not even a fight at all. What we're doing is we're just waiting for glory. We are waiting to leave this earth and enter eternal glory. Hey, if you want to go ahead and fight and have all kind of stress and anxiety, you go right on ahead. But you know what? I expect the world to continue to increasingly get bad. I'm looking forward to it because the more bad it gets, the closer I know Jesus Christ is going to return. So bring it on. As the world turns, it's going to burn. And you know what? The more it burns, the closer we get to glory. The fight has already been fought. The battle is over. The war is over. Jesus is going to come. He's going to win that battle at Armageddon. He's going to throw the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan into the lake of fire. When we turn to Jesus Christ, in faith, we have won the battle. And we don't need to fight the criticisms. We can embrace them. Look at what it says there in Psalm 46.10. I wrote that in the King James because I love how it puts it. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, won't they? Yes, they will. Be still. You know what that means? It means to cease. It means to leave it alone. It also means to mend by stitching and to thoroughly make whole, to heal. Leave it alone and let God heal. No sense in fighting it. And then do what Jesus did, speak no evil and keep trusting God. When you're criticized for your faith, speak no evil and keep trusting God. 1 Peter 2.23, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus endured all kinds of threats. He endured all kinds of beatings. He endured all kinds of abuse. But he just kept entrusting himself to God. And you know what? He won the victory. And those that hurled those abuse, unless they repented of their sin and ask forgiveness, they're in eternal damnation. Now, who do you think won that battle? Right? So we don't need to fight those criticisms. We can trust, we can leave it alone, we can be still, and we can do as Jesus did, and speak no evil, and keep trusting God. We live in a world where criticisms will come whether it be for our faith or whether it be for anything else. 
but our response must be measured. And it's not always easy to do. No one's perfect in doing that. But what the Bible gives us is an opportunity to reflect on this, to train in it, and to discipline ourselves for it. I want you to embrace criticisms. I want you to expect them, and I want you to stop fighting them. Because in doing so, you will glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord God, that you give us everything that we need to absorb criticisms for our faith. And not only that, but to use them to strengthen us, use them as a badge of honor. And Father, to make us stronger in our relationship with you. You teach us very clearly that everything that's leveled at us is really leveled at you. They're not personal attacks. They're attacks against you. And so, Father, please let us have that mindset. Let us keep that perspective so that we can have grace in our speech, grace in our responses, so that we can glorify you in heaven. If there's anyone here today that needs to reconcile with you, that needs to come to you through Jesus Christ, now is the time I would ask and I would suggest that this is an urgent matter. It just doesn't make any sense to leave here without knowing where you stand with God and not having your eternal destiny fulfilled and to know where you're going to be if something, God forbid, were to happen. This is an opportunity right now. You can ask Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior and to forgive you of your sin. And he promises to forgive you and to accept you as a child of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunday message by Pastor Nick Stringer at Creekside Church in Brookville, Indiana. For more information, you can go to www.creekside-church.org and find us on the website. Once again, you've been listening to the Sunday message with Pastor Nick Stringer.